Her husband was a police officer in the Houston Police Department. He was killed in the line of duty. She's here to talk about the tragedy, the effects afterwards, and how her experience motivates her to help others. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders. Because, at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma. PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at fhehealth.com. That's fhehealth.com health.com under programs you'll find details about shatterproof joining us from texas we have kira knox on the law enforcement show kira's husband jason was a police officer in houston texas and he was killed in the line of duty in a police helicopter crash she's here to tell us the story thanks so much for being a guest on the law enforcement show very much appreciated um yes hi so May 2nd, um, 2020, um, my husband was, they call it the TFO, the tactical flight officer. He was the TFO in the helicopter. And then there was the pilot and they were out on the call. They were searching for a body in a bayou, um, that had been called in ended up being a false call, but you know, you have to treat every call as such. So HFD, you know, everybody's out there looking for this potential victim and um, something happened with the helicopter and they spun out of control and crashed um, into an abandoned, not abandoned, it was an empty um, apartment like leasing office. Thankfully, HFD was already pretty much right there. There was no smoke. There was no fire. Um, nobody really saw it happen, like law enforcement first responder-wise, until they got flagged down. And um, they were kind of confused because they had just seen the helicopter flying around looking for this person, and all of a sudden it's not there. So they drive around, and they find it, and um, they start you know, the whole extrication process, and... My husband was on the right side of the helicopter. So it's like a, it's like a car. You're, the driver's on the left and the passenger's on the right. Right. Um, so the way it had fallen was on the pilot side. Um, it took about 10 minutes or less to get my husband out. Um, he was alive. He was 
stable um, or conscious. And they transported him. They flew him to Memorial Hermann. Um, the pilot was in pretty bad shape. He, they took, it took over an hour to get him out. Um, he also got flown to the hospital. So fast forward to my, my side, about two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. And oddly enough, one of my best friends and my husband's best friend, um, called me and I looked at the phone and I thought, why are you calling me at, you know, almost 3am? Cause he doesn't work night shift. And I answer the phone and it's not his voice. It's somebody else. And he said, you know, Kira, we're at your front door. Um, there's been an accident. So, you know, jump out of bed, come to my door. And sure enough, there's two uniformed police officers at my door. And one of them, like I said, was my best friend. And the other one I actually knew. This must have been so, quite, quite I, I, I know from my, my first wife, she is always prepared for the knock at the door. Knew it was a, a potential of happening, but always thought like me, it would never happen. It will never, never come to be. That had to be 100%. quite a shock for you that you're even getting a phone call. I'm, if someone calls me in the middle of the night, it better be an emergency. Yeah. And even then, I'm like, oh, well, what's going on? What day is it? I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, and then to, to know that it was him calling me, but then to not hear his voice really is what threw me off. Because um, he, he just couldn't, he couldn't talk to me. Because this was his best friend. They were partners at HPD. Um, so, you know, I open the door and fall to my knees. And I'm like, what happened? And at that time, all they knew was the helicopter had crashed. Both of them were being lifelighted to the hospital. And they were both alive. So I leave my friend here with my kids and hop in the car with the, um, he was a lieutenant at the time, um, hop in the car with him. I'm calling my mom. She's out in Waller. Um, I know my in-laws have already gotten a call cause they're in the city. So I drive, you know, we're driving to the medical center, which seems like the longest, shortest drive ever. And we get there and we're told he's stable. He's in surgery. He's going to have a long road of recovery, but he should be, you know, he should be okay. And everybody was telling us that until it wasn't. And they came out and said that he didn't make it. Um, and that the pilot was still in his surgery. So that's something that I, I've said this before, Kira, you know, we know that there's always potential for, being killed. We know there's a greater potential for being maimed and, and having lifelong injuries and all those things on any call. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're seconds away from a really bad call happening. But we yeah. put it in the back of our mind that that's not going to happen. That won't happen to me. That happens to other people. That happens to other families. Oh. That doesn't happen to me. It doesn't happen to my family. And yet, exactly. it happened to your family. Did you have that state of mind? This will never happen to us. Yes, um, especially since, oddly enough, he was involved in a helicopter crash 10 months before this one. Um, it was a hard landing at the airport. I mean, they did flip it over on its side. He walked away without a scratch. And I thought, okay, you got your one out of your system. 
never going to happen again. Like lightning doesn't strike the same spot twice, right? No, it doesn't. And he had also flipped a patrol car years before that. So I always thought, okay, you're in the helicopter. You're safer in the sky than you're ever going to be on the street. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. We are talking with Kira Knox. She is a survivor of fallen Houston officer Jason Knox. She's here to tell more of the story about the incident that claimed the life of her husband, her life afterwards, and creating a booklet called The Guide, which is available at Blue Bow Foundation. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420 or online at fhehealth.com. Return conversation on the Law Enforcement Today show with Kira Knox. Her husband, Houston Police Officer Jason Knox, was killed on line of duty in a police helicopter crash. She's here to talk about that and how her experience led her to creating a booklet called The Guide, which is available for law enforcement families at Blue Bow Foundation. Get more details. Their website is bluebow.org. Kira, first of all, thank you for, for coming on the show, talking about this stuff. It, I, I don't know thank that you for I, having me. I don't know that I could do it. Uh, there's stuff I find difficult to talk about that's been 30 years ago. This was only a couple of years ago. Just shy of it, yeah. And it's still really, really fresh. I don't know that I would have the composure that you do. And so I, if I could give you flowers right now or a medal or something for uh, just really compose yourself, I would. I, I can't. So Thank you. Thank you so much. Here's the thing. When you said before we went to break, hey, he's in a helicopter. He'll be safer than he will be in a uniform in a marked patrol car on the streets. I get that. Yeah. That would be the normal thought process. He's elevated. He's away from threats. He's away from all the violence. It's observation role. And it's kind of a cherished, highly sought after role, isn't it? Yes. And my department yeah. of Baltimore is really difficult to get that job. They're really difficult. By the way, I'll tell you a quick story. I don't know how true this is, but they had training. When you have a new flight officer, not the helicopter pilot, the new flight officer, they would get their spouse involved in it. And there was a, a training a new officer, and they said, now watch this car. And next thing you know, he's watching the car, he's giving directions, they're doing trial runs, and the car goes to his house and his driveway. And guy gets out, walks to the front door, knocks on the door, and he's losing it the whole time. And all of a sudden, his spouse comes out, and they both look up in the sky and wave to the helicopter. And it's like, yeah, we got oh, you. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Uh, they're a fraternity. The, the whole 
the whole police family really literally is a family, but the flight officers, they are a different breed altogether. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, kind of tangent. I, after my husband died, um, another one of my friends reached out to the Los Angeles air support division and told them the story. And my husband and I loved LA. We just loved to visit there. And LAPD made him an honorary member of their air support division. And I have this huge plaque. And then last year I got to go and thank all these guys. And then they let me go on a ride along in their helicopter. And you went in the helicopter? I I went on a ride along in their helicopter. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do that on a good day without anything bad happening. And you've already been through the worst of the worst. Yeah. I can't go in the blue one. The blue the blue one that HPD still flies on a, the most regular basis, the one that crashed, I, I can't get into one of those. But the the bigger, safer, newer ones, I've gone twice. So Good for you. We'll see. I want to go back. Uh, you found out there was a knock at the door. You made it to the hospital. Did, did you at any point think that, hey, this is really, really bad? Or you're like, how bad are the injuries and how long will recovery be? And, and how long, how much is the pain going to be? Um, I guess I was thinking, you know, I can only go off of what they were telling me. And the entire drive to the hospital, no, they didn't have any information. And at that point, things had started popping up on social media. So I was seeing pictures and I'm thinking this is bad, but I also have to think, well, he's done this before and you know, they're training. Maybe this was just a hard landing and he got jolted a little bit. I mean, never in a million years would I have thought that it was going to turn into a fatality. Even when they told me that he didn't make it and the pilot did, I was like, no, you're, you have to be confused. Like, this can't be him. And I didn't get to see him until after he was gone. Um, and they had taken him to a room and had cleaned him up. And that's when I was like, okay, this, this is really happening. Um, something about seeing your husband on a hospital bed with a flag draped over him. Just <laughs> that will be an image burned into my head forever. Yeah, I don't think um, I, uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know your husband. I saw pictures of him, and I remember, I didn't, until I saw a photo of him, I didn't remember the incident until I saw a photo of him, and it's like, oh, yeah, I recall that in the news. I'm in Florida, so it's a long ways away. However, yeah. seeing that the, the flag-draped caskets at the funerals, still makes me yeah. tear up because it brings back so many memories of really bad things. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can appreciate your statement that seeing him like that, you'll never, you'll never get that image out of your mind. No. Oh my goodness. This is a hard conversation. I'm getting all teary eyed and I suspect you are too. So I, I want to change Same. directions a little <laughs> bit. One of the, okay. the things I had a problem with it, we were trained on everything. I mean, you you name it. They trained us on everything in the academy, yearly in-service, the senior officers, you name it, death notifications. The one thing they didn't teach us was how to talk to the survivors of those killed in line of duty. 
You know, we, we know to show up at the hospital. We know to do the things we're supposed to do. I remember right. when a guy who worked for me, I transferred a couple months later, he was killed. And when I found out I was working, I just, I took the night off and I went to his wife's house, their house. And I just broke down to that. Since that day, I've had no idea what to say. And I've been a, a world-class coward. It's like, I don't want to talk to them because I'm afraid of, of making it worse. And did you encounter right. that? Yeah. Um, a lot. I mean, you know, instinctively everybody wants to ask you, are you okay? Um, and then they immediately put their foot in their mouth. Um, because no, you're not okay. Like even two years later, I'm still not okay. I'm just still standing. Um, and I learned that really quick. Unfortunately, meeting a lot of widows since this has happened. Um, cause I, I go and I see them and I'm, and I say, I'm not going to ask you how you're doing. Cause I already know the answer to that, but is there anything I can do for you? Um, because yeah, people just really, truly do not know what to say. And I'm so afraid of, of, and I would be the world-class idiot who would say the wrong thing. I really would <laughs> and not mean it. Then afterwards going, Oh, kicking myself. If I could, what is wrong with you? You stupid. Yeah. And just going, here's what Kim said to me. And uh, that's her name. She said, listen, you can't make it worse. The worst has already happened. So talk to me about football. A thousand percent. Talk to me about dancing. Talk to me about fishing. Talk to me about racing. Talk about, if we want to talk about Will, I'll let you know. We'll talk about him. If we can't, I'll, yeah. I'll let you know. Just don't be a stranger and don't abandon me. Don't stop talking to me. That's, yeah. So I kind of did the same thing. I told all of my people and my friends, don't treat me any differently. Don't walk on eggshells around me. Don't not talk about your husband's because mine's not here. Just the worst thing you can do is treat me differently because of my circumstance. Just keep being who you are and, you know, just don't act differently about it. When you were Along the, with life, just because mine came to a halting stop doesn't mean yours can't keep going. It came to a stop. The life as you knew it came to a halting stop. But you're using that yeah. to help other people. We'll talk about that in a moment. One of the things that I keep getting in my mind is the vision of going to the hospital and there being literally hundreds of police there. Was that the situation for you? Yes. So if you remember, COVID had just kind of was getting serious then, you know, hospitals had just started to do the whole mask thing. Um, I was not wearing one. I, there was no way, none of us were wearing masks, but um, I do remember getting escorted, you know, down the hallways. And once I got to that room where he was, it was, you know, the command staff, our friends, other people from the division, um, his parents were already there with me. And we're going to take a short break on the note. We're going to return that conversation with Kieran Knox. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. 
Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. Return conversation of the Law Enforcement Today show with Kira Knox, her husband. Houston police officer Jason Knox was killed in the line of duty in a helicopter crash. He was a flight officer. And when we left before the break, you're talking about being in the hospital, family members there, command staff were there. Is that when you got the the word, Kira, that he had passed? Um, No, it was just before that. They had come to tell me that he had not made it and asked if we wanted to see him. And that they were going to take him to a place that we could go and get him cleaned up. So I had to process that in the hallway, still not really believing it, though, hoping that they were wrong. And then walking down the hallways, getting escorted up to that room. That's I mean, that's when it really, truly sank in because he was just lying there. How does one remember to breathe when that's going on? I, I, I don't. Were you? Doing any of that, I, I call plea bargaining with God or someone else or whoever it might be. Hey, don't, don't let this be the case. Let it be something else. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do anything. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, the entire time I kept thinking, how am I going to do this? I have two children at home that are still sleeping, have no idea what's happened. Um, they were five and three at the time. And yeah, there was... There's still kind of a love-hate relationship with with him right now, just because I I don't understand why. Um, I mean, just if based on you know the crash, you'd think it would be the other way around, or both of them, or it should have been neither of them, to be honest. But yeah, there was a lot of a lot of playing with him. Here's the thing that I'm, and I don't have a point of reference. You know, I can, I can tell people there's an old saying, and I say this all the time, time heals all wounds. And for me, that's not true. I just get more used to things. There's life before, for example, there's life before my father got sick and died. There's life after. And there's no, there's nothing that makes it better. It just is what it is. I've become more accepting of it. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I, I sit here and think, my wife and I have been married now 21 years, uh, been together 25, and I have these visions on my mind, I know she does too, of what our life is going to be like, and I, I'm jokingly saying when I'm, not, when I'm a geezer, I'm already there, when we're in our 70s and 80s, and what our future is supposed to be. There has to be a feeling for you that that, that was stolen from you. Oh, Absolutely. Um, so Jason and I started dating when I was 17, um, in 2005, I was still in high school. We dated for several years, got engaged, got married. Uh, we got married in 2009. Um, we had our son in 2012 or 2013 and then our daughter in 
2017 um, or 2016. Sorry. So, I mean, we were it, we were the power couple. We had, we had everything. So we were, you know, we were together for almost 15 years. Um, so yeah, I mean, my whole life got ripped away from me because now I'm here trying to do this by myself and as weird and, you know, odd as it may sound, I'm, I'm only 34. I'm, I'm too young to do the rest of my life by myself. Deep down, I know that I'm going to have to find love again. And that's the scariest thing. Yeah. Don't even get me started on that conversation. I have no idea where to begin on that one. I'm serious. Look, Me either. <laughs> I, I was married before, and you know, police work really, i, I rephrase that, my inability to handle things better really destroyed my marriage. And then I went through a period of time, Kira, where I was convinced that this was not in the cards for me, and I was living a lifestyle of denial, that I'm not going to get in close, I'm not going to get involved, it's not going to happen. Then I met my wife, and everything changed. But mm-hmm. before that, if you'd asked me, hey, would you get serious in a long-term relationship with somebody, remarry? I'd been no, that's never, ever going to happen again, ever. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't begin the process to think about it, and I didn't go through what you went through. Right. So here you are. Yeah, I mean. You're, you're 34. That's so young still. I was 32 when it happened. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I never... Never thought I would become a 32-year-old widow. And then you got the whole line of duty police funeral to go through, which for those who don't know, it is so big, so massive. I'm sure you were inundated with people all the time. Yeah. How would you describe that Uh, experience? So being a first responder myself, um, I have been a dispatcher for 15 years. I've done police, fire, and EMS. So I think that's why our, we worked, our marriage worked so well is because we, we got it. I mean, most of the time we were ships passing in the night, but somebody was always here with our kids. They were always being taken care of. Everybody got to sleep. I mean, it just, it always, always worked for us, no matter what department or what shift we were on. Um, so... Unfortunately, I have I have been to line of duty deaths previously. Um, obviously, not on the side of the widow, but um, that night at the hospital, um, you family assistance services comes and speaks with you and basically needs a a POC, a point of contact, because um, this person is going to be your shadow for the next however many days. Um, and of course I picked my best friend, the same one that had showed up at my door. He was Jason's mentor when he started HPD. Um, so, I mean, he, he really was my shadow for, I can't even tell you how many days. Um, but knowing what was to come with that, just, it was, it was a lot because like I said, I've been to them both on the fire side and the police side. And they are so incredibly, even if you know nothing about law enforcement or first responder and you go to one of those funerals, you're going to leave bawling your eyes out. Yeah. 
Um, but then having to go and make these arrangements and, you know, have all of this, the flag and everything handed to you. I mean, just heartbreaking. I'm a lot old. of that week is kind of a fog. I don't even remember a lot of that. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job talking about it and telling us about it. What I was going to say is, you know, I'm many, many ways a stereotypical Irish Catholic guy. And I am great with getting along with people until I'm not. Uh, and then I can get very ugly. And I would see in your situation with the intensity of the emotions and the lack of privacy and people being there all the time, the flying off the handle and yelling at people and saying, get away from me. Was that ever an issue for you? No. Um, I mean, a lot of people did kind of come out of the woodwork. I mean, it was on national television. It's kind of a big deal. I, I mean, every line of duty death is, but HPD has never had a fatal helicopter crash before. This We're going to take a one. short break. We are talking with Kira Knox on the Law Enforcement Today Show. There's so much more to talk about. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. I promise you, you don't want to miss what's heading your way. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click like and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio radio show on facebook missed an episode of law enforcement today you don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on podopolo the free new app that makes listening anytime anywhere so easy catch up on shows you've missed and chat with john j wiley right there too download for free on the apple or google play stores that's podopolo and john j wiley wants to hear from you inside podopolo Return conversation on the Law Enforcement Show with Kira Knox. Kira's husband, Houston Police Officer Jason Knox, was killed in a helicopter crash on line of duty. He was a flight officer, and this was just a little over two years ago. And she is talking about the death, the police funeral, her life after, and how she took that in her experience to create a booklet called The Guide for the Blue Bow Foundation for Law Enforcement First Responder Families. Get more details online at bluebow.org. That's B-L-U-E-B-O-W dot O-R-G. I know that you said earlier you had two small children at home, and they had they were totally unaware that, you know, this is going on. Uh, there had to come a point where you came home, and you had to let them know. How does one even start that conversation? Ah. <laughs> uh... I don't know, but I got home about 7 a.m. that morning from the hospital. They were still sleeping. I had all my family and friends here, and they thought we should have a big sit-down family thing. And I said, no, that I think that's going to be too hard. So I had to, once they woke up, I took them one by one outside and had to explain to them on their level because they were totally different um, that their dad wasn't coming home. Um, my son obviously took it harder because he's older um, and had a lot of questions. I, Jason and I always used to say he was an old soul. He's 
very, very smart and wanted to know why and what happened and what kind of injuries that daddy has and just things that I couldn't give him the answers to just yet. So he, you know, he took it pretty hard. Um, my daughter, she's, she was only three at the time. So it didn't really sink into her. She just was like, okay, he's gone. He's in heaven. Like, and they still have their moments every now and again. Um, but eventually she's going to not remember because she just turned five in November. And eventually a lot of that stuff is just going to fade away, which I don't know if it's going to make it easier or harder, but she'll have you know tons of pictures and memories and all the stories. So that's tough. I, I, I really got no, I'd love to have some sort of comeback that would make it all better, but I know I'm, I'm not God. I, I don't, I don't have those answers. And I'm really incredibly sad that you and your family had to go through this. Um, but I'm also very grateful that you are talking about it because quite often we never hear. We don't get a chance to hear from the survivors of those. And and you were 32 and you're widowed and you never saw this coming. You've got two yeah. young children at home. You're trying to let them know. And then it's like, uh, all right, we get to the police funeral, which is we could do a show about that alone. And, and then all of a sudden people st- probably start falling away. They have their lives. They're busy. They have their families. Did they did they just start dropping off? Um, you know, you really do find out who your true friends are. Um, a lot of people came initially and were there, and then people that I never expected to come in have been the ones that have stuck it stuck it out till today. I mean, just the groups of people that I have, the tribe the village, because it literally takes a freaking village. Um, I could not be more blessed on that. Um, I have so many people that I could literally call and they would, at the drop of a hat, would come running. Um, So during that time, you know, everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to do all of these things just wants to get their hands in to do something, mow your yard, bring you a hundred meals, feed an army, take care of your kids, take care of your pets. And going through that situation, you know, nobody knows all that information except me, but it's all over the place. And years, you know, months, well, not years, months have gone by and I've met other widows who have gone through the same situation and they come from a smaller department where they don't have the help and the services that HPD provides. So then they're left with doing all of this paperwork and their benefits and everything by themselves because they literally don't have anybody. So we kind of went off of that with the guide because there's so many people that come that want to come into your house And this is a safe place that you can fill out everything that's pertinent in regards to you and your spouse and your family and your household that you can provide that information with anybody that needs to help. If you have one person that can just take over that guide and 
you know, divvy out tasks or whatever for everybody. But we tried to think of everything as my experience. My Like my front door has a door code. Not everybody's going to have a key. Not everybody's going to have their own code. But if that's something you can provide to us, then, you know, whatever. Um, Unfortunately, no no one would know except people that have been through this. People like me on the outside could only imagine. And we think we know what to do. But quite often, we don't. And that's a really powerless feeling. Yeah. Of all the things that you went through and learned in your journey, what would be the one thing you would tell other law enforcement agencies, because you know this is going to happen. Other fire departments, other first responders, you know this is going to happen. Here's the one thing you don't think of. This is what you should do. Um, get a will. Because <laughs> um, we unfortunately did not have one and we had to go through probate. So get a will and get this guide or if this is not your style, then get something where you can just put all that information on for other people to come in and just make it so much easier because bills have to get paid. Your children, their lives have to go on your lawn, your house, your car, your pets, everything still has to keep going. And a spouse is not in any kind of state of mind to be doing those things. So I want to go back and to this needs that help. This guide, this is born from your experience, and you decided you wanted to write this. You and some other survivors got together and put this together? Um, Kimberly kind of had the idea. Um, she's, she's had this, this dream and this hope for it, and she actually did the basis of it, and then I came in and added a lot more to it um, from my experience. Kimberly was on the show quite a while ago, a great episode, and it's about the birth of Blue Bow Foundation and what they do. So you're heavily involved in writing this guide, and this is something that every first responder family should have. Yes. Is it available online? Where can people get more information about it? Yes. If you go to our website, um, bluebow.org, and go under shop, um, you can get for $5, you can get a PDF version. Um, so you can literally just click the link, download it, fill it out, print it, keep it wherever you want to. Um, or for a $25 donation, you will get a hard copy and a binder with tabs and extra pockets and things for business cards. Um, I probably have a business card stack of a good like four inches from everything that happened because everybody's here's my card. Here's my number. Call me if you need anything all across the board. So well, I, I was going to say, you got my name guy. and my number. You can call me if you need anything, but I don't know what to do. Even at this stage, I have no <laughs> idea what to do. And I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, even just the offer means so much. And I hate to say this, you, you've experienced the worst of the worst from the first responder spouse end. Are you available to help others that are going through this? And if so, how would they get in touch with you? So, um, well, I, so I'm the director of social media for the Blue Bow. Um, I have been, I had gone to events and stuff hosted by the Blue Bow years previous. 
Um, and then when my husband died, they came in and did amazing food donations, um, just everything. They were absolutely amazing. So can they get a hold of you right through this social media for Blue Bow? Um, I mean, yeah, on Facebook, you can message us or email, but yeah. And their website is bluebow.org. Kira, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. So very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.